You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. You're listening to The Good GP. I'm Sean Stevens, and today we're continuing our interview with UWA Professor of Clinical Microbiology and Nobel Laureate Professor Barry Marshall. Hi, Barry, and welcome back. Hi again, Sean. Great to be here. Cool. Now, last week we heard about uh, the discovery of Helicobacter pylori with yourself and, and Robin Warren. Um, one of the things I'm interested in, you published that um, very famous article, apparently one of the most quoted um, or referenced articles in the MJA, where you cultured Helicobacter pylori and actually drank it yourself. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about why you did that and how it was received? Oh, that's so, uh, what were we talking about last week? Oh, yeah, so uh, Robin and I started this in 1981. Yep. And uh, so we we're getting pretty interesting results by the end of 81. And uh, I was then doing uh, hematology at the beginning of yep. 82. But we decided we needed more information, wanted to do a consecutive series. So we got eth- We did actually get ethics. <laughs> you got it this time. <laughs> <laughs> and we took biopsies, and I used to run around before and after work and uh, consent the patients who were coming for elective endoscopy. And we said, okay, yep. we'll get 100 people yep. and just find out who's got the bacteria. We'll find out if we can... We'll try and culture it, because yep. already we've been going for six months with no luck. We could not yep. grow the thing. Uh, and then uh, the third thing is there any disease associations? Remember Tagamet? Yeah, I remember was, Tagamet. Was just yeah. coming in, and so when we saw bacteria living in the stomach, and then you, the new acid blockers, yeah, we thought, oh, you know, it might be a side effect of acid blockade. You're getting bacteria growing in your stomach. Yeah. In actual fact, it's it was a, it couldn't have been that because in fact H2 blockers won't give you enough uh, yeah. acid reduction to be. Conducive to bacterial growth. Right. It's still there's enough acid there to kill bacteria yep. when you're on H2 blockers. Uh, but anyway, so that was the, those were the sorts of things we were thinking about, uh, and so away we went. And uh, it was a, it was a nice project because the samples got sent uh, blinded to to Robin. Mm-hmm. Didn't have any clinical information. Yep. Uh, another one was sent blinded to the microbiologist to try and grow it. Again, yep. no clinical information. And I coded the endoscopic data yep. and sent that to the statistician. So it was a beautiful yeah. design. Yeah. Mm, who thought of that? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, worked. we slaved our guts out for a few months. And then uh, by the middle of the year, I started to get the data back. And... Uh, we needed money, so the family all went up to Port Hedland and got the tax breaks, and uh, and I was the physician at Port Hedland Hospital, <laughs> and we had a pretty good winter up there, but of course uh, with only like one TV channel, yep. which went for three hours, it was dreadful, yep. uh, and you're inside during the hot weather, so I had a lot of time to pour over the data and look at all these printouts and statistics and do literature searches. So by October, Robin and uh, I, I. Said to Robin, "Listen, I'm starting to find some stuff here. You know, yep. all the patients with duodenal ulcer have got these bacteria, yep. and then all these other references that we've pulled in. You know, this supports it, that supports it, and explains about 50 different things we knew about ulcers. Yep. Uh, and the other one of the drugs that was available at that time was uh, denol. Denol, yeah. And it was terrible People stuff to take. It. Yeah. yeah, it was horrible to take, but." Um, about 30 or 40% of people who took denol would never get a relapse. 
Right. So, they, so you can imagine it was really kind yeah. of like an antibiotic yeah. that we didn't know in those days. You know, so this, all, you know, I was just totally consumed by it at that stage. Right. And I presented it at the Physi- College of Physicians meeting in Perth, Royal Perth yep. Hospital. Yep. And everyone sort of had a go at me. Ah, rubbish. You know, that's not. Everybody's got gastritis. Gastritis doesn't cause symptoms. Blah, blah, blah. Yep. And uh, so I was a bit frustrated by this. Uh, but I did get a, 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 a physician gastro job at Fremantle Hospital for 83, yep. Yep. where I could follow up a bit. And Robin and I were writing our papers for The Lancet at that stage. Yep. And they were getting rejected, seriously rejected uh. for months and months. But we did publish some letters that were published in 84. Yep. And all it was the association of the bacteria with gastritis right. uh, and peptic... Uh, I think I'm not sure whether we mentioned much about peptic ulceration then, or, or we weren't allowed to. That's right, because we had no clinical data. Ah, but okay. we were well. We had our own unpublished data. Yeah, we knew yeah. we were close. Yeah. So in the last line of my letter, it was like these bacteria might cause gastritis, one of the most common diseases in the world, and possibly responsible for peptic ulcer and gastric cancer. So that sentence yep. locked in the Nobel Prize. And Robin right. says if we had done nothing else for the rest of our lives, we still would have got the Nobel on the basis of <laughs> on that. On the basis of that. We later. might have had another person sharing, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> um, whoever, so I used to go, people started to get interested then. Uh, yep. And um, Robin and I got a, a letter and then a publication about this in The Lancet. So yep. that was as good as you could get in 1984. Oh, look, people... I, when I was at Fremantle working as a medical registrar, people were still talking about it. It's like everyone wanted a piece of you. No, he's at Fremantle when he made the, the discovery. <laughs> no, no, he was at Royal Perth. No, no, he works at Charles. Anyway, so I, the Fremantle was pretty good to me, and uh, it was the right size, if you like. The yeah. People, everybody knew each other. And although everyone said I was a zealot and mad and everything and had... Would, don't sit next to Barry or just talk about bacteria all the time. <laughs> uh, so, but, you know, they kind of put up with me. However, whenever I presented at Grand Rounds or a proper meeting, everyone stay out, look, Barry, there's so many con- commensals on your body. Half the world's got this bacteria. Obviously, it's a commensal, and people with ulcers catch the bacteria. So chicken or egg, you know, where's yeah. your animal model? And I had been slaving my guts out trying to do animal models. Yeah rats and mice and guinea pigs and pigs yep so i was trying to make a pig model up at royal perth hospital and they had this uh, program where i had three or four piglets yep and every day we would every week we'd grow up the h pylori and feed it to all these piglets yep. and then wait a couple of weeks and then i would go in and do an endoscopy on them yep. on the friday yep and uh, never ever found the helicobacter. So right. you know, pigs are so immune. If if you survive living in a pigsty, right, your immunity's way up there, and helicobacter right. haven't got a chance <laughs> right. of getting a foothold. Yeah. So the the pig experiment was getting a bit frustrating. Not only that, you start off with piglets. Three or four months later, you've got these hundred pound animals. Right. And pigs are very very long, and you. Yeah can't get the scope Getting through the pylorus anymore. Right. So once they're three, three or four months old, your experiment has to finish. Yeah. So there's nothing I could do then. I didn't yeah. have a model. But I did have the idea. I had discussed it with my wife, which, yep. which people don't know. But about six months before, I'd submitted an MD thesis, which I never completed, by the way. Right, right. Um, so 
I uh, submitted the thesis, and one of the things was if I couldn't do an animal model, I would do a human model. Yep. I'd get a human volunteer. Yep. Uh, so we got to that stage, and I sort of discussed it sort of hypothetically with my bosses yep. and to see what the, which way the wind was blowing. And at that point, I decided that, you know, I can't guarantee that they'd let me do it. So I didn't really tell anyone what yep. I was going to do or right. when I was going to do it and decided that I was going to drink the bacteria. So I had an endoscopy. Yep. And my old boss, uh, Ian Hislop, I think he's probably still around. Uh, I saw him a couple of years ago at the shops, I think. Yep. I said, Ian, look, can you, I need some normal control material. Can you do an endoscopy on me at the beginning of the session? So he laid me down on the bed and scoped me. He said, Barry, I don't know why you asked me to do this and I don't want you to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> So he had an inkling, obviously. <laughs> he knew it was something bad. Yeah. Uh, so I was normal without anything in the stomach. So yeah. Okay, so I had a, a patient with gastritis, and um, I had actually treated him with metronidazole and denol and yeah. cured the infection. Yeah. So I had follow-ups on him, and I had his strain. So I said, if I use this one, worst-case scenario, if I get an ulcer, probably I yeah. could cure it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, worst case scenario, you know, I'd have a polaroplasty or something. <laughs> or I'd get some the good, things we do for science. Yeah, some great publications could yeah. come out of this. Uh, so, uh, I, so then uh, in um, July, which is probably about a month after our Big Lancet paper, 1984, yep. I, had, I had it planned for a few months, you know. So, okay, so I mixed up as many pylories as I could get, which we, yep. I reckon was 10 to the 9 or 10 to the 10, yep. uh, in some broth, beef broth. I took a couple of tagamets in the morning to, yep. to help it grow yep. so that it didn't have too much acid, and I drank it at 10 a.m. And uh, for the next few days, I had a sort of strange little gurgling noises. Then I started feeling a bit of dyspepsia, yep. like, my, like fullness after a normal-sized meal. So when you see people with these vague symptoms, yep. you know, I'm thinking, what have they got? Something going on. Yeah. And um, then on the day 8 to day 12, approximately, I woke up each morning with vomiting at the crack of dawn. So it was really? winter. Right. And I'd, I'd wake up and it was just starting to be dawn. I'd run into the bathroom before I was properly awake and I'd vomit. And I just, it was just like water. Really? I digested my food. And my yep. stomach was full of watery stuff. Clear, without any acid in it. Right. And I was, I'd throw up down the toilet and, and half asleep I'd press the button. And I said, that's weird. You know, damn, why didn't I save some of that? <laughs> So three, the scientist in you came out. Three days in a row, I didn't t save any samples of it. It would have yeah. been great. Anyway, so um, I then um, went and had the endoscopy. Oh, well, I had an endoscopy. Then yeah. about day 10, I think it was, and it showed heavy, heavy colonisation. So right. that was the picture that appeared in the Medical Journal of Australia. Right. Uh, and then uh, I, so I was like, so excited. I came home from Fremantle, and yeah. uh, Ross Glancy was a pathologist. He said, Barry, have a look at this, you know. So I was pretty excited, and we cultured the bacteria from me. So it yep. fulfilled Cox postulates for yes. gastritis, you yes. see. So I came home and said to my wife, guess what? You know, she said, what? And I said, I drank the bacteria, and I'm, I'm infected. Isn't it great? <laughs> and she says, what? What have you what done? What have you done? And so she'd had a, it wasn't her fault, she'd had a fender bender accident up near Princess Margaret Hospital and, yep. and Roberts Road Lights, yep. where some swine had 
jumped the curb and slammed into her on on uh, Thomas Street side yep. from yep. Roberts. Yep. Anyway, so she had a whiplash and a broken rib, mm. plus four kids to look after. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and me. So she was a bit uh, worried about everything. So she said, uh, right, you're starting antibiotics in five minutes' time, otherwise you're out yep. of here. So I then negotiated and she said, okay, we'll have your next endoscopy on the three days hence on yep. Tuesday, take antibiotics then. So I got further biopsies on the Tuesday. Yep. And uh, started on antibiotics, but Robin and everybody looked at the biopsies and said that uh, the bugs had gone. So before I started my antibiotics, right. the bugs had gone. So okay. the, the fine details are actually on my Wikipedia page. Yeah, I, must have checked. I checked your Wikipedia. Yeah. So page. I didn't get yeah. an ulcer. Yeah, and we now know because we've had a lot of volunteer studies and things yep. like that that about. You know, it might be fifty as many as fifty percent of people who catch H. pylori have this transient illness. Yep. And the other fifty percent go into a chronic phase. Right. And many right. years later, you get your ulcers, or right. when you're sixty, you get your cancer. Yeah. And uh, and so I wrote it up, and my mates who had published and knew how to write a paper better than yep. me. Uh, said, uh, well, Barry, you know, you've left a lot of stuff out of this. What, what, what was that? Well, you know, you need to write it in the th- third person so that you had, so ha- you had a volunteer and he did this, yep. and then it looks a bit more scientific and not so subjective. I said, oh, fair enough. And they said, and, and did you know you had a terrible bad breath that week? <laughs> My mother had told me that. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I saw that on the Wikipedia page. Was it they noticed it as well or just well, your mother? Well, yeah, I was so lonely that week and I just was feeling a bit tired and overworked, which yep. was, you know, I had a mild illness. Yeah. A bit of dyspepsia and that. But I was the only one in my lab. They'd all left me. <laughs> I said, Quick, Why didn't you tell me? I said, oh, we didn't want to you know, embarrass you or anything. So everyone had just kind of moved out. And luckily, I got better, as far as I know. <laughs> of course, no one would tell me. Wouldn't dare. And, um, and then um, the achlorhydria was yep. an interesting thing. I, I'd noticed it, but I hadn't really thought too much about it. And then my wife's father retired and they went to England and they used to go to the, the old mouldy bookshops in yep. London Yep. and he brought back um, the uh, Osler's textbook of medicine Yep. and I thought I'm looking through and I said that's interesting let me just look up gastritis there's this whole chapter on gastritis where people developed vomiting and the acid, there was no acid in the vomit Right. and sometimes it would get better and sometimes it would go into a chronic phase Right. And you would treat it with, guess what? Denol. Yeah, bismuth. Some yeah. kind of bismuth. Yeah. He had bismuth citrate, which yeah. is not exactly denol. Yeah. And a few other things. Yeah. And and uh, so there it was. That, and then I wrote the paper called yeah. Fulfill, Fulfilled Cox Postulates for Campylobacter pylori or something. Yeah. And it all made sense. Um, and th- there was still a bit, a few fuzzy edges, but yep. this idea of acute infection in childhood... Yep. You carried it chronically, yep. and many years later, for some reason, you got an ulcer. Yep. Uh, so it was then. So that was laid in the Medical Journal of Australia. Yep. And it was ten years before anyone believed it. Right. <laughs> Takes time with these sorts of things, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, but it was a great yeah. ten years. So I, I don't have any complaints. <laughs> yeah. So looking, uh, if if you could look back at your past, your younger mm. self, or or indeed somebody these days, a, yeah. a keen researcher mm. who's got 
you know, what the rest of the medical profession thinks yeah. is a wacky idea. What would your advice be to them? Well, <clears throat> I, you know, the statistics are that since man landed on the moon, which is the year that I started medicine, yep. we live 10 years longer. Yeah. So our lifespan's gone from 72 to 82. Yeah. It's going to, and every six years that you live, you get one more. Yeah. So that we're all, you know, with a with a bit of luck and a bit of good behaviour, you know, we're we're going to be reaching a hundred pretty easily. Yeah. So uh, I say to people, you don't have to be doing a rush job with your medical career anymore. Yep. I felt pressure when I was when I got out of high school and went into university. I said, I. You know, as I said, I, I, I didn't feel that I could totally rely on my family. There did, didn't seem to be enough reserve in the family yep. that I could take it easy and repeat a year, yep. anything like that. I had to get through, and then I had to get a job and earn some money. Um, so that's all right. I was a bit lucky that to be in the right place at the right time. But I'd say nowadays, well, after after the, all that crazy stuff in Perth, I then got a scholarship, uh, funded scholarship, and went to the University of Virginia yep. and developed the diagnostic test, like the urease test and yep. the breath test, which yep. were, we cooked them up actually in Perth and yep. then got them through the FDA and they became yep. global tests. Yep. So uh, so that's what I did in, in America. But what I learned in America is very, very stringent kind of research. Yeah. Because in the US... You do funded research to get products approved by the FDA, right? And the FDA are pretty hard nosed. Yeah. They they don't care who you are. They don't care if you're going to go broke or commit suicide. Yeah, they were they're quite happy to reject everything you show yeah. them unless it's good data. Yeah. Uh, so I learned how to do clinical research there, yeah. and I also saw what value people put on on uh, graduates who had a PhD MD. Right. Okay. So typically in at University of Virginia, they already had a, a four-year postgraduate program for medicine. Yep. So everybody had a science degree or something close to it yep. before they started medical school. Right. And typically I used to see people, they'd be 21, they'd be finished their 21 year, and then they would do a couple of years as a lab tech. Yep. You know, uh, or an intern or some, internship in a laboratory or something they were interested in. And get paid a pittance if they could afford it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, do nuclear medicine tech or something yep. like that for a couple of years, and then try to get admitted to a good medical school, right. and then do your four years in medicine. Yeah. Uh, and other people would do their science degree instead of doing that. You would do your four four years of PhD. Yep. And then you would get into medicine, and then when you got your medical degree, you would be hot property. Because right. we used to interview. 20 gastroenterology we we would have three 300 applicants at the university of virginia for about five gastroenterology trainees wow. jobs wow and we would end up interviewing 30 yeah they'd all be top rank and about three of those would have md phd and we were right. like our first choice our first choice you want somebody who's actually going so to that research background do the research and give them some protected yep. time and that so and then they would presumably sort of fertilize everybody else as far as yep. getting some academic output right so that would be great um, University of Virginia is one of the top 10 medical schools in the US yep. and it's the the top medical school that's not Ivy League so Ivy League are all private schools yeah. Stanford and Harvard and yep. Yale yeah Princeton whatever um, so University of Virginia is a state a public state college right 
but it's medical programs at the top of all yeah. the public colleges. Yeah. Um, so it was an excellent program with a big emphasis on infectious disease yeah. and incredible what about, resources. Though, if someone in, say, your situation who, mm. who thinks, who, who's trying to turn a medical orthodoxy on its head, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What, would you, what would you say to someone who's got those sorts of ideas? Um, well, I could have done it maybe easier or differently just by mm-hmm. focusing on it, go, moving into infectious disease instead of being yep. clinical. Yep. Uh, whereas, uh, so that was good because I got a couple of patents, diagnostic tests, and things. So yep. maybe, I, maybe I could have done the same thing. But uh, infectious disease, yep. uh, probably would have been another pathway which would have been just as good, and it would have yep. been easier for me to publish. Yeah. With yeah. more basic science and scientists right. there. Okay. So that's 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 one aspect. Um, so the next thing you're talking about paradigm shift, yeah. and uh, if you want to turn something on its head. Uh, well, it helps to find a a mentor who is uh, sceptical, but not so sceptical that it stifles you. Yep. So I had the right people at the right time. I had David McGecky in Fremantle. Yeah, great guy. I worked with him when yeah. I was down at Fremantle. And it yeah. was good for David as well because he'd come back from um, Hong Kong and moved into a brand new lab. Yep. And in Hong Kong and England, where he was, uh, they knew about Campylobacter, you see. Yeah. So it was the perfect right. microbiology uh, setup. Yeah. And and he was David's a bit alternative. Yep. I, I've got no idea what he does in his spare time, <laughs> <laughs> but I but I said right, I'm not going to go there. Uh, what his life is, but he, he he I didn't really match up with him, but he was yep. a great work colleague. Um, he was respected. He'd had some publications. Uh, he used to bring visiting lecturers and yep. people like that through, uh, and try to introduce them to my science in question in quotes. <laughs> really, we had a bit of trouble. But you know, when I wrote a paper, he could review it, and uh, there was pathologists and people yep. around. I had Robin. Um, I had uh, John Pierman. Uh, there was the electron microscopist at Royal Perth was from yeah. Southampton and knew yeah. a bit about bacterial microscopy. Yeah. And there were people around UWA, you don't realise it. And there are some people who live a pretty quiet life, but they're serious boffins and they, yeah. they're down in the ag department or yeah. they might be in geology department. Yeah. And if you find something that's, that, that's near their field... Yeah, you can go down and spend a whole afternoon talking to these people, these Great. guys and gals, yeah. and come back with just as great a lot of information that you might have got if you were in Harvard or someplace, you know, Stanford, yeah. UCLA. Yeah. And uh, the other, the other thing. So that's one thing. So if you, I made it hard for myself because I was a bit too much in your face. I think. Yep. So you've got to get, you do need to think about what you're going to do next year. So if you're thinking science, okay, you have to do the hard yards a bit. So you're working on someone yeah. else's project, 50% your own project. Yeah. If, if you can get your own publication yeah. and, and your own funding, which I ultimately did, yeah. uh, then you're golden. Yeah. Because I, I didn't realise it at the time, but the scientist carries the funding. It's right. your bank account with right. NHMRC money in it. Yeah. And if someone pisses you off, you say, well, I'm going to that other university <laughs> over there. And I'm taking my money yeah, with me. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Oh, and the dean would be crying because he gets 50% of it. 
<laughs> so I didn't know these things. Yeah. I know them now. Yeah. Um, so so not a ba- not such a bad system for young investigators, yeah. young researchers. The other the other thing is that um, I used to obviously I I wanted to either go to England or US and, and yeah. really uh, get mixed with the top guys that I could read about in the literature. Yeah. So I, I was lucky I had a scholarship uh, from Fremantle Hospital. It was the the Consultant Slush Fund. Oh, yeah, I remember that. It was great. <laughs> I mean, I never had anything to do with it, but if they had a, a worthy project, they could pull a couple of thousand dollars out of it, no yeah. worries, which was a lot yeah. of money. I remember I got days. invited to one of their parties with it. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but the, uh, they... They kind of respected, you know, people in Fremantle were getting involved with this different aspects of the helicobacter thing. Yeah. Uh, so it was pretty interesting. And so they managed to get me uh, a trip to an international conference in Brussels in, in 1983, I yep. think it was. And um, so I always had a bit, a lot of loyalty and respect for yeah. Fremantle Hospital after that. And yeah. I, I cry when I see the dockers yeah. getting wiped, <laughs> but you never, you know, they might pull something out yeah. of the hat. Barry, look, I could, I could talk with you all afternoon. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure interviewing mm. you. I'm sure you've got lots of uh, very important. We'll do another stuff. one next year. I'd, I'd love to. That'd be great. <laughs> Thanks very okay. much, Barry. Thanks a lot. 